Welcome to the Posture Strength and Mobility Podcast. I'm Isaac Osborne, and I'm here to share with you tips, tricks, hacks, interesting musings, and much more in short, digestible episodes. To learn more about how you can improve your posture, strength, and mobility, check out the show notes for links. Onward with the show. Welcome to episode eight. Is art support helpful to your foot? In this episode, I'm going to give you the basics of how the arch works, what makes it strong and how it can become weak, and some tips on how to improve it. All right, jumping right in, nine fun facts about the foot. The foot has 33 joints, 26 bones. It has more than 100 muscles, tendons, and ligaments. According to snowbrains.com, the average moderately active person takes around 7,500 steps per day. If you maintain that daily average and live until you're 80 years old, you'll have walked about 216,262,500 steps in your lifetime. There are over 7,000 nerve endings in each foot. Feet have 250,000 sweat glands. When active, feet can produce four to six ounces of perspiration a day, sometimes more. A person weighs more walking than standing. Walking is dead weight plus push energy, which adds about 30% to standing weight. An average day of walking brings a force equal to several hundred tons to bear on the feet. A brisk walk can burn up to 100 calories per mile, or 300 calories per hour. Here's some facts about your shoes. Badly fitting shoes are the cause of many foot problems. The bones of children are softer than those of adults and can be more easily harmed by ill-fitting shoes or socks. Fast-growing feet need to be professionally measured every three months. Corns and calluses are caused by friction and pressure from skin rubbing against bony areas when wearing shoes. If the, sign, if the first signs of soreness are ignored, corns and calluses rise up as nature's way of protecting sensitive areas. Shoes should be long enough to avoid squashing toes, wide enough to avoid sideways squashing, and deep enough in the toe area to prevent the shoe rubbing against the toes. The arch of the foot. So those of you that are listening, I'm going to do my best to describe to you what I'm holding up here. And if you want to get a visual of it, check out the YouTube link in the show notes so that you can get a visual on what we're talking about here. So I built this foot from a disarticulated skeleton and I put it on here as close to a, a representation of ligamentation that I possibly could. So there's no metal pieces or any screws holding, like in most skeletons, there's, there's screws holding in uh, the joint. So what we're going to see here is is it this foot tends to move similar to how we move our foot so first of all if all of you imagine for a second who are listening that your heel and some bones on the side of your foot are what create the create the lateral arch so so basically the two bones that are your pinky toe and the the next toe over uh, are what create the lateral arch of the foot the three bones towards the medial part of your foot are what create what's called the, the medial arch. And the medial arch basically sits on top of 
the lateral arch. And the position, the position of your heel, if you can imagine for a second, the heel, when the heel changes its position from rocking outwardly or inwardly, that's going to change the position of the arch. So the lateral arch and the medial arch are what make up what's called the transverse arch. So I'm, what I'm demonstrating here in, in the, the video is if I, if I bring my, if I bring the knee of, of this foot that I have in my hand here, if I bring the knee in, then the arch collapses and that causes an inward tilt towards the midline of, of the body of the, the calcaneus bone. So if we, if right now I'm showing a back view of it. And so if I tilt the knee inwards, that collapses the arch. And if I tilt it outward, that opens up the arch or increases the arch of the foot. So the other thing is you can increase and decrease the arch of the foot by also rotating the lower leg bone. So if I, rot if I rotate the lower leg bone, the two bones that are involved on in this are, is called the tibia and the fibula. And they connect, these two bones basically connect on top of a bone that's called the talus that sits on top of the heel bone, the calcaneus. Now, when, those, when, the, when these two bones twist, what ends up happening is it changes the position of the talus, which then in turn changes the position of the calcaneus. So I know I'm getting a little bit detailed here. And for those of you who are listening, bear with me for a second. So this twist in the, the lower leg bones, when they twist outwardly, they increase the arch. And when they twist inwardly, they decrease the arch. The arch collapses when the bones inter internally rotate. Now, the importance of this is because when our foot coordinates with that lower leg bone, the two lower leg bones, the tibia and the fibula, then that determines the health of our arch. And so if you've seen somebody walking and their foot is turning out, then there's going to be a substantial twist on the arch of the foot. However, it depends on where their knee position is too, how the knee actually tracks or hinges over, over, the, over the ankle bone. So if, if the knee is actually going outside of, of the ankle bone, then it's gonna raise the arch of the foot. Even if the bone is slightly internally rotated, it's still going to raise the arch of the foot. However, if the knee when someone steps is slightly on the inside and if the bone is turned in then it's going to collapse the arch of the foot even if their knee is on the inside and the bone is actually turned uh the two lower leg bones the tibia and the fibula is turned outwardly it's still going to collapse the arch of the foot so this has a lot to do with people who are either bow-legged or are knock-kneed being someone who is knock-kneed causes a lot more stress on the knee and the ankle joint, including the hip joint and many other joints, where someone who is, has a tendency to be bow-legged, I'm not talking about really far out bow-legged, but you know, just slight bow-leggedness, actually has, their, their tendency is to have a healthier arch than someone who has uh, knock knees. Because of this reason of, of what happens is when 
that knee goes inside, then it's going to collapse the arch. Now, following everything I just said, I'm trying to paint a, a basic picture for you of how these three joints connect with each other, the ankle joint, the knee joint, and the hip joint. As you can imagine with everything I just said, that it's incredibly important how these three main joints line up with each other. And if, if the knee, like I said, if the knee is inside the ankle, then you're collapsing the arch, but also it depends on the rotation. Some people have uh, a larger rotation in the lower leg because the lower leg can actually rotate independently from the upper leg, the femur bone. And this is really important because most people don't walk with their leg actually swinging properly straight forward. And if your leg isn't swinging, swinging properly straight forward or your hips aren't rotating properly, what's going to happen is the lower leg is going to have to compensate for that loss of proper rotation and elevation in the pelvis when, when it's trying to swing through when you're walking. And this is where you have the issue between the kinetic function between the lower leg and the foot and the hip. So hip health, hip stabilization, your pelvis and the way that it rotates is very, very important to how your leg is going to swing when you're walking, how your foot hits the ground when you're walking. That's your basics of coordination. It's important to understand that most of the arch, if you consider the arch of the foot and the muscles that are responsible for the arch of, arch of the foot are these muscles called extrinsic muscles and extrinsic muscles. Now, the extrinsic muscles are larger muscles and they live on the lower leg. So they're muscles on the front of the shin, they're muscles on the side of the lower leg, and they're also muscles, deep muscles on the back side of the tibia and the fibula. And the tendons of these muscles provide basically a sling that comes underneath the arch of the foot. And when they contract, they either collapse the arch or raise the arch up. The intrinsic muscles are your little tiny muscles that are on the bottom of the foot, in between the toes, in between the metatarsals, and around the arch of the foot. So these are smaller muscles and they're more stabilizers for, for the foot and the arch of the foot. Now, it's important to understand that the ligamentation and the musculature are what provide the stability in the arch, specifically from the lower leg. Yes, how it coordinates with the knee and the hip is also important too, because whatever the hip joint is doing, the foot has to re respond because it's the foundation of the body. Muscle moves bone, nothing else does. So the programming of those muscles, you have one side that's weak or you have one side that's stronger than the other, is going to determine the joint positions of those joints of the foot. Let's talk about a static arch for just a second. A static arch are arches that you see in bridges, unless it's a suspension bridge, it's not static. Let's take the Colosseum for a second. In Rome, the Colosseum has a ton of arches in it. And it said that's why the Colosseum is still standing is because the, the structural integrity of those arches is so strong that that's why the Colosseum is still standing. Many of the Greek structures that didn't have arches compared to the, to the Romans who had arches, that's why a lot of Greek structures are still not around is because they didn't have arches. And the Colosseum has a ton of arches in it.
One of the ways that you weaken an arch is by putting something underneath it. So for instance, when they're building arches, usually they, they have scaffolding and things underneath the arch so that they can place, if we're talking about uh, stone masonry arches, so they can place all the stones around it and then they set a certain stone in there called a keystone. Once the keystone is set right in the middle of the top of the arch, then they take away all that arch support because it's compression of everything from above that creates compression into that arch and all the gravity and compression going into the arch is what makes it really strong. But if you put something underneath it, then it starts separating that arch from underneath and then the structural support isn't there, it's going to fall away a lot easier if the structural support isn't there. This is why arch support is dangerous for the foot and how it can weaken the foot. When you put support, quote unquote, support's not the right name in a lot of ways, when you put a support underneath or arch support underneath the foot, what you're limiting is the compression and expansion of the foot when it you, when you take a step. So for instance, when you take a step, the foot hits the ground, it's supposed to compress. And when, it re, when your foot releases, the arch lifts up again. And this is due to the musculature. It's also due to the elasticity of the tendons and the ligaments. Tendons and the ligaments store kinetic energy, just like a rubber band stores kinetic energy. When you stretch that rubber band, it return and let go, it returns to its normal length when it's not under tension. So this is true for the arch of the foot and the Achilles tendon and all the connective tissue in your in your foot. And it, it provides energy efficiency for your foot and your leg to not completely rely on musculature for movement. So that's basically stored kinetic energy. So when you have an arch support, what ends up happening is it, since that ligamentation isn't going through a collapse in the arch when you take a step and then a release, that ligamentation can get weaker. Connective tissue responds to tensile load and will thicken to tensile load that is progressive or as long as it's not too much strain on that ligamentation, because it basically causes a little bit of strain and the body wants to reinforce that area, so it will reinforce that ligamentation and create more strength. However, if it's not getting that, that really light strain on the ligamentation, what's going to happen is that ligamentation is going to get weaker. And when you put an arch underneath the foot, there's a lot of muscles that go to sleep so to speak. They go to sleep, and so their tendency is going to, to atrophy. So then your foot starts becoming reliant on that arch support. However, that's only part of the problem. The other part of the problem is that it messes up the kinetic function or the muscle coordination between the foot, the lower leg, the hip. And once that starts to change, what ends up happening is the hip and the pelvis and the spine have to compensate in order to provide movement that is lost from that foot that's asleep. 
This is how you're going to get into issues by having arch support in your shoes is because it, it messes up the muscle coordination patterns, it weakens the ligaments, it weakens the muscles, and it also, it, depending upon how much cushioning you have in your shoe, our feet are essentially sensory organs. And for those people that are running, when you run with high cushion amounts on the shoe, your tendency is to heel strike. A heel strike is going to cause shock absorption through the rest of the rest of the spine and the legs. You don't heel strike when you run barefoot, and the reason why is heel striking is actually your brakes. So every time that you're running and you're heel striking, you're actually putting on the brakes. Aside from getting that compression through the rest of the system, it's like I think it's over like two two times your body weight that's sending a shock wave up through the system if you're running. So what that cushioning does is the, the foot has to sense sense the ground. That's part of what your foot does is sensing the ground around you and or as you walk. That sensory information gives your foot feedback, but also if you've ever worn barefoot shoes and have good barefoot shoes, you can actually walk over rocks and it, it feels good on your feet. It's like, you, it's like your foot is getting massaged. And so this is why I've been wearing barefoot, quote unquote, barefoot shoes for years because it feels so good on the feet. And they also protect your feet, obviously. I've done backpacking trips that are 35 miles, 40 miles or more in barefoot shoes. And that's with a backpack that weighs 40 to 60 pounds. So your body should be able to handle these sort of weight-bearing, quote unquote, strains if you're your feet have the proper coordination with the lower leg and the hip because that's what provides that coordination between these joints and how they load is what provides a happy, healthy foot. You might be having a question, hey Isaac, I've been wearing arch support now for such and such years. Is it damaging for me to come off the arch support? You can rebuild the muscles of the foot. It's gonna take some time but you can rebuild them. And one of the most important things is reestablishing proper control of flexion, extension, rotation of the lower leg. This is one of the first steps to providing proper function in the lower leg and the arch of your foot. Aside from weaning yourself off of arch support in your shoes, eventually you don't have to do it right away. I have I have some clients that have and are completely fine with getting rid of their arch support and going towards more barefoot style shoes. And in fact, a lot of them notice that their feet are functioning a lot better right away. However, there are definitely some cases where you need to wean yourself off of them in a more gradual manner while you're working some corrective exercises to rebuild the proper function and foundation in your feet. So the exercise that I'm going to give you guys today is a, a simple exercise. There's a couple of different ways that you can do it. And this exercise helps reestablish the proper kinetic chain function between the lower leg and the hip by providing rotation into the lower leg bone, but also asking for the arch of the foot to start working with flexion, extension, and rotation. 
Very simple exercise, but it's really important that you take your time with this exercise. And something that something that I I normally say about exercises is the function of the exercise is much more important than the amount of reps. Also, when you're wanting to change something, consistency is the most important thing that you can ever do for your body when you're trying to change nervous system habits and patterns. You have to be consistent with it. So doing this type of exercise one day a week is not going to really change anything for you. If you do it six to seven days a week, once at least once a day, but even better would be twice a day, you'll notice a difference in your foot functioning. Not only with your foot functioning, but also in your hip. What I want you to do is sit down on the floor and then lie on your back on the floor. And there's two options that you can do here with this exercise. You can straighten one leg and then grab behind your knee with your interlace your fingers behind your knee and you're going to have your knee bent. My ankle right now is about the same height as my knee. The next thing that you can do, if this is too stressful on your low back or if it's too stressful on, on your hip for some reason to have your left leg straight, go ahead and bend your left knee and, and maintain your left leg in that position. However, if you can have the, foot, the leg straight, then go ahead and have the leg straight that you're not going to be working with. So in this case, I have my right leg bent. I have my, my fingers interlaced behind my knee. And then I'm going to imagine a square on the ceiling. And the first direction that I'm going to trace the four corners of that square is I'm going to go in a clockwise direction. So I'm going to bring my foot up into a position with my toes. I'm pointing to the first edge of the square. Then I'm going across the square to the second edge and so that my lower leg is rotating. So imagine your foot going across the ceiling to the second edge of the square. My heel is going the opposite direction of my toes. And when you do that, then what happens is the lower leg actually rotates. And the best way to get the lower leg to rotate is having the knee bent because when your leg is straight and you try to rotate your lower leg, the upper leg bone, the femur, is going to go along with it. So once you trace across the ceiling, that would be edge number two, then I'm going to point my toe away from my knee to edge number three, keep my, my toe pointed away from the knee, and then I cross over to point number four of the square, and then I slowly bring my toes up and the top of my foot up towards my knee back to point number one. So I go from point one, where the top of my foot is going up and my toes are up towards the knee. Then I cross over to point two, rotating my lower leg, not wiggling and waggling my upper leg. And then I drop down to point number three, where I'm pointing my toes away and my foot away from my knee. And then I cross back over to point four and then back up to point one. I think you get the point here. So you trace all four edges of the square in a clockwise direction. Then you go backwards. So I'm going back to point one, and then I go down. So I'm going in a counterclockwise manner, all four points. 
And then once I cover that, about I would start with either 20 to 40 reps, depending on how much burn you get in the lower leg. Then I would do about 20 to 40 reps of just pointing your toes away from your knee and then bending the ankle and bringing the top of your foot towards your knee. So that's what's called plantar flexion and then dorsiflexion. The top of the foot moving towards the knee is called dorsiflexion. Top of the foot and the, and the toes moving away from the knee is called plantar flexion. Now, a couple of things that you should be aware of when you're doing this movement is the lower leg should not be like fishtailing like an alligator's tail. Shouldn't be going back and forth as you're doing this. You should be able to do this movement. And if you put your hands on your lower leg really, or on the shin bone, you can really feel that bone rotating. And so it's rotating on the axis of the knee. That's really important that you get that rotation because then you're getting function of all these muscles of the lower leg. You're also getting function into the hamstrings because part of that rotation actually comes from the hamstrings. So your hamstrings are actually important in the health of the arch of your foot. So by getting this rotational movement in the lower body, you're actually getting access to levers in the hamstrings that help rotate the lower leg. So I would do this exercise every single day and then see if you can work up at least to 40 reps or maybe at some point in time, if your foot, the arch of your foot is weak or even if your foot has a high arch, you're going to get a burn in the musculature somewhere. And it's a good sign if you get burn in the musculature. Do this every single day and your arch is going to shift. Do it every day, twice a day, and it will shift faster. All right, you guys. So that's the, today's podcast. Please share it with a friend and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for joining me for this episode. If you liked it, please subscribe and leave a positive review so others may find it and get help too. Check out the show notes for links on how to win a mini integrator massage gun, posture strength and mobility classes that focus on corrective exercises, or self-myofascial release protocols for neck pain, back pain, knee pain, plantar fasciitis, and much more with my massage gun, The Integrator. Until next time, keep exploring your body and stay curious. Thank you.